Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that I with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I, what, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's word, we need his spirit to help us, so let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us through your word. That your spirit is making it living and active. That it is doing a work in our hearts. That we might be changed to be more like Christ. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, faith to understand and to apply all that you have for us today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we continue in our sermon series and Paul's letter to the Philippians... I want to remind you a little bit about where we're at. Remember, Paul here is writing to this church in Philippi from prison. They have sent a gift to him because if you were in prison at this time, you might not even get food if you didn't have money to pay for it. Certainly didn't have central air or heat. The conditions would have been meager at best. And in support of Paul's ministry, the church in Philippi had taken up an offering and sent a man to go and to deliver it to Paul. And he's writing back. He has sent this letter back to thank them, to give them an update on what is going on. And here Paul is turning now from his opening and his thanksgiving to giving them a little bit more detail about what his life is like. And unfortunately, he doesn't give us a whole lot in terms of you know, everyday moments, but he tells us about his disposition, how he is experiencing this imprisonment, this hardship. 
And it seems almost nonsensical the way in which Paul talks. How he can rejoice. How he can see the way in which these circumstances are working for the sake of the gospel. Paul's mindset is so foreign, I think, to us as those who, when we face hardship or difficulty or even minor inconvenience, rarely stop to think, how is God at work in the midst of this difficulty? Because it can be hard for us to understand that. We may never really have a clear answer to how God is at work. And so we often assume he is not or that he is out to get us. But Paul lives in a different narrative. Paul's mindset is completely different from that. And he has seen that through this imprisonment, through him being shackled to a Roman guard, the gospel is going forth. It is going forth in three ways. And those are the three ways we're going to look at today. So he writes in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul, how are you doing? You're in prison. We've sent you what you need in order to survive as you await, hopefully, trial. Your future is in peril. He may be released in the future. He may even be put to death. There are no certainties under the Roman rule of the day. Of course, we know that Christ was put to death. So now this man preaching Christ may have a similar fate. And Paul wants to assure the Philippians that it has really served the advancement of the gospel. First, we see that the gospel has now gone to places that it would never have been able to go before. Verse 13, Paul tells us, So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard that, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul is literally chained to at least one other man. And no doubt there would have been several guards at any given time, and they would have rotated through shifts as they would have overseen the prison in which Paul was being held. Of course, Paul, as an apostle, is not one to keep his mouth shut, and so he talks to these men. And they say, why are you here? Well, I'll tell you why I'm here. And Paul preaches the gospel. He preaches it so frequently to so many different guards that it has become known to all of the imperial guards why he is in prison. Indeed, they probably would have talked about it themselves. This man, this Jewish rabbi-like man who is proclaiming this weird new religion is in prison and he has appealed to Caesar and we are looking over him and there's this message of Christ going forth. There would have been little access to the Roman imperial guard outside of somebody being put in prison. Paul sees this circumstance. He sees the opportunity before him to preach to these guards, to be able to be in a place where he would never have been able to be before. I'm reminded of uh, the current hubbub in California, and uh, Pastor John MacArthur was threatened with going to prison, and he said, well, I have never in the 50 years of my ministry done prison ministry, so bring it on. 
Indeed, I don't think he wanted to go to prison, and that's not what happened. But what a mindset. That regardless if you are able to freely preach out in public or be put into a prison, that God might have a ministry there for you. Indeed, it is no surprise. In fact, this is one evidence of God's providence. And that is what Paul is reminding the Philippians, that even though it seems like he is in this dire situation, that he is imprisoned and facing all of these hardships, maybe even death itself, God is using it for the spread of the gospel. Jesus warned his, or prepared his disciples in Luke chapter 12 for this very thing. He says, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, when you're arrested like I'm arrested and they bring you before the people in authority, don't be anxious about what you should say to defend yourselves. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I'm sure the disciples were fretting very much as they saw Jesus arrested and put on trial. And Jesus is warning them that they too will be arrested and put on trial and brought before rulers. But that is all in God's providence, so much so that the Holy Spirit in that very moment will tell them what to say. And that is indeed what's happening here with Paul. As he is brought from prison to prison as guard and guard and guard come, the Holy Spirit is giving Paul the words to preach. The gospel is going forth into the highest realms of the Roman Empire. Paul has a different mindset about his circumstance. He understands that God's providence has brought him to this point, and he is faithful to proclaim Christ even in this difficulty. The second way that he sees the gospel advance, we see in verse 14. That his imprisonment is an encouragement for others to preach with boldness. Verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It's an interesting juxtaposition. Usually if you think your friend, co-laborer in the gospel, gets arrested, maybe you would be more quiet. But those who are laboring alongside Paul have a different view. Now is the time to preach. We can't let Paul be in jail for no reason or in vain. We may only have a few days left. We too may be in shackles with him. We must go and proclaim boldly. Seeing somebody suffer, seeing somebody lose something, can often give us encouragement. You think about the persecuted church around the world. We often pray for them in our service. If you go and you read about what's happening in China, in Nigeria, and all of these places where the people of God are oppressed, indeed it is sad, but it also gives you perspective and courage, gives you confidence because you realize how much you've taken for granted in our own lives. Paul is in prison, preaching to guards, facing maybe even death. How can I not be out preaching? And so Paul's imprisonment has caused them to be even more bold. 
Now, what's interesting here is we see that there's actually two types of preachers. There's two types of ministry going on. There are those who were probably threatened by Paul's ministry as he was here, as he was laboring alongside, who were probably false brothers on some level. At least they felt that they were in competition with the Apostle Paul. We're told in verse 15, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Verse 17 says that those who preached from envy and rivalry, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Some of them wanted to preach Christ for their own benefit. Now that Paul is out of the way, they can go and the people that were following Paul maybe would follow them. Maybe they could become more prominent in the church. Kind of a sad reality that that's happening. Because what you want to see is that second type of person preaching. Preaching out of love. Out of goodwill. Others preaching out of goodwill. Knowing that he is put there for the defense of the gospel. That they see what Paul is doing and they are with him. They are proclaiming the same message. Out of love. Out of goodwill. But you have these two New proclamations happening in light of what Paul has found himself in prison. And what does he say? He says, what then? Verse 18. Some of them are selfish. Some of them are, you know, trying to build up their own kingdom. Some of them are with me and preaching out of love and goodwill. Right motivations, wrong motivations. Preaching Christ. Paul says it doesn't matter. All that matters is that Christ is being proclaimed, whether in pretense or in truth. And he will rejoice. It's not what we would expect the Apostle Paul to say, because he spends so much of his time rebuking false teachers. And so what we can find in this passage is one really important truth for us, especially as those who live in a very fallen world with sinful pastors and teachers. We can tell from this declaration that whatever these envious rivalry preachers were preaching, it was true. The only difference between them and the others was their motivation. Christ was proclaimed. Our confession even talks about why things are efficacious. Some people maybe were baptized in a church or came to faith through a ministry. And later, that pastor or that priest or whatever it be ends up being a terrible person. And you begin to think, well, did it count? What Paul's telling us here is absolutely the power is through the proclamation of Christ. As the word goes forth, it doesn't matter the motivation of the person who is preaching. What matters is if we have faith in Christ. And so Paul sees this happening. Indeed, I'm sure he is upset by the fact that there are these hypocritical people out there preaching Christ for the wrong reason. But he rejoices because whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. The gospel goes forth in places it would have never gone before. It goes forth in extra boldness, and it brings forth more rejoicing. Our third point. 
Paul goes on to say, not only is he rejoicing now, but he will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. That word can also be just translated throughout the New Testament as my salvation. It's not that Paul is certain he is going to be delivered from prison. But that all of these circumstances, everything that is happening, God is at work in and through it for his salvation. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, as now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul sees his terrible plight. He doesn't know whether or not he's going to live or die. But he sees how God's at work. And he knows that he can trust that no matter what circumstance lies ahead, God is using it not only for his salvation, but for the sake of the gospel. That Christ would be honored whether he lives or whether he is put to death. Christ is to be honored in both our lives and in our deaths. Let me get to our verse that probably all of us know have seen plastered all over the place. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is for to live for the sake of Christ, to suffer like Christ suffered, to proclaim him, to see the gospel go forth. To trust in what he is doing regardless of my circumstance. And if I die, I get to be with Christ. To live as Christ, to die is to gain Christ. If I live, I win. If I die, I win. Because Paul's life is centered on Christ. If I live in the flesh, it means I have fruitful labor. If Paul continues to proclaim in the prison, if he eventually is released and can go visit the church in Philippi and continue on his missionary journeys, fruitful labor for the sake of Christ. If he dies, he dies as a testimony to Christ. Paul uses a rhetorical shift here. If I, which I shall choose? Should I live? Should I die? Right, Paul's starting to sound a little weird here. I'm hard-pressed between the two. I don't know which one I would rather do. Would I rather labor on and see fruit, or would I rather go on to be with Christ face to face? My desire is to be with him, for that would be far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for the Philippians. If Paul was gone, he couldn't encourage them. If Paul was gone, he couldn't preach to the guards. If Paul was gone, the boldness may begin to fade. So Paul's fairly convinced that his remaining is what will continue on so that they can be encouraged. So that they too will rejoice. Paul's perspective on his circumstance is so foreign to us. 
so different from the way we view our lives and our deaths. When we think of the phrase, to live is blank, to die is blank, we don't put to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is success. To live is John. To live is joy. To live is pleasure. To live is all there is. And to die is to lose those things, not to gain. There is nothing in our lives that can transcend our momentary afflictions in this world. If we have ourselves as the center of our lives, if we preach like these men out of selfish ambition, it is no doubt going to come into conflict with many other people. If to live is John for me, and to live as your name is for you, well, we don't agree on what the point of life is. In fact, 7 billion people around the world have all sorts of different views about what is most central to life. We will be disappointed every time we don't get our way. We will be disappointed every time somebody else wins. It is the thing that causes us to get upset with our children when they don't obey us. It is the thing that causes us to get frustrated in our work when we don't get our promotion. It is the reason we get so mad at that driver in front of us that goes so slow in the left lane. Don't they understand that to live is to let John go fast? So much of our lives, especially now in our culture, is focused on ourselves. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul sitting in prison, wallowing in his own self-pity? What would his response have been like if he had not seen God's providence at work? Would he have proclaimed to the guards... Would his self-pity have given others boldness to preach? Would he have any joy? The only reason Paul could do these things is because he was caught up so deeply in the gospel. Whether in life or in death, Christ would be honored. It is the only thing that can give us sustaining grace through the highs and lows of our lives. It is the only thing that will increase in our death. There are many other passages in Scripture that refer to this dynamic. Perhaps one that comes to mind for most of us is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Remember, Paul is writing from prison. Paul is facing death. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that five times he received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times he was beaten with rods. 
Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. A day and a night adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from his own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and in hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these, there's the daily pressure on me for the anxiety of all the churches. Paul rejoices. He is physically beaten down, restricted at every possible avenue. And on top of that, he cares so deeply for these people in Philippi and all of the churches where he has labored. In fact, that's really the only reason he wants to continue on, that they might be encouraged, that he might be a benefit to them. He knows if he dies, it's better. It would be easier for him to die. I'm sure he doesn't want to get whipped another time or shipwrecked another time or live his life in danger. But he can endure it all because to him... To live is to live out Christ's mission for his life. It's not about Paul. Heidelberg Catechism, question one, sums up this reality so well. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. When we look at this passage, we see Paul's unshakable realization of God's providence that has brought him to this point. That he is working all of these things for the sake of the gospel. That perhaps Paul's life is going to be poured out here. But Paul is filled with joy. God has put us all in individual places. Perhaps some of us are called to go do crazy things like Paul. To go reach people with the gospel in places where it has never gone before. Paul had to go to prison to do that, but he also did it on his own agenda. Going from city to city, proclaiming Christ. Most of us aren't called to that type of ministry. But God has put us in places where he has called us to do something. He has called us to put Christ first. To see the circumstance that we're in for his purpose, his glory. To see our difficulty as a way in which he's refining us, uh, an opportunity for us to show Christ. All of us have different lives, different families, different jobs. It's no accident that we are where we are. And praise God, we are not chained to a guard in a Roman prison. 
But we need the same mindset that Paul had. We need to see that God has brought us to this place, not for our own good and our own self-fulfillment, but for our salvation and for his purpose. That there are people around us who won't hear about Christ unless we tell them. That there are people who will be encouraged by the way that we respond to our difficulty. That in our difficulty we will grow in our understanding of seeing Christ at work. And that as we die more and more to ourselves, we will be filled with joy because we are living our lives for somebody else. This goes against everything that is within us. Every selfish ambition we have. We live our lives for ourselves, but Paul lived his life for Christ. He is encouraging the Philippians to live their lives for Christ, to see that God is at work even in his imprisonment. You may have a joyful week this week, this night. You may be in the midst of very difficult circumstances. God has put you there. He is at work there. He wants you to have joy there. Because our joy is not in our circumstances. Our joy is in Christ. Who has brought about our salvation. And it is our longing to be with him. That we can have our ultimate hope. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Christ has brought us salvation. That our hope isn't in building a kingdom for ourselves, but instead seeing our work in his kingdom. Lord, help us to turn from ourselves and instead to live for Christ. Help us to see the way in which you have providentially brought us into these moments, whether good or bad, that your gospel may go forth. That we may be an encouragement to the brothers. And that we may experience your joy. Help us to see your hand at work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.